Sandy was the deadliest and most destructive storm of the 2012 hurricane season. It was also the second costliest hurricane in U.S. history. Monday marks six months since the superstorm struck our area. On this week's Fordham Conversations, we hear from Fordham alum Kendra Newkirk. A few days after moving into her new house in Queens, Sandy hit, washing away almost everything Kendra owned. We talk with Kendra just after the storm hit and again a half a year later. But first, we hear from Fordham professor Mark Nason. He spearheaded an outreach effort to help Kendra recover from Sandy's wrath. I communicate with a lot of my students via email and Facebook. And about three or four days after Sandy hit, I found that Kendra and another student, who was actually a friend of hers, had had their houses flooded. Kendra in Rockaway and this other student, Amy Nicosia Murillo, in Harrison, New Jersey. So I had the sense that this would be a great opportunity to rally a, a community of Fordham African American Studies and Urban Studies alumni that I had built over the years uh, and use this community to help these two students out. So I reached out to Amy, who, as it turned out, had enough family resources and friends in New Jersey so that she didn't need any kind of, you know, fundraising effort in our part. But when I spoke to Kendra, it was such a heartbreaking story because on the Saturday before Sandy hit, she had a housewarming party for her and her two children who had just moved into this house in 68th Street in Rockaway. And then Sunday night, they have to run for their life to a house down the block, which was higher up. And, um, you know, it was clear to me that Kendra had lost everything, that she had worked so hard to beautifully decorate this house for her and the children, and it had all been lost. So um, I asked her, is it okay if I rally our community to try to raise funds to get you back on your feet? So one portion of this was developing a registry that people could go online and purchase needed goods from whether it was Target or Bed Bath & Beyond, ranging from school supplies to children's clothing to toys to household items to, you know, clothing for Kendra. Because imagine every worldly possession of yours has been flooded and is 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 no longer usable. I went to Kendra's yesterday and we um, she was gracious enough to let me walk through what was left of her home. Yeah. And it was very touching. Um, she was so moved because there's literally and I'm not sure if you guys you guys did go inside because you were helping her pull some uh, it, of the uh, go inside. We spent five hours <laughs> inside when, in, you know, three weeks ago when it was you know, filled with mud and mold, and we went in with masks, with boots and gloves. But that's the second part of the story. Because what you did was you, once you got all these people together, how long did it take you to get enough people together to, uh, to, to head out? Well, let me explain why we did that. Please. Um, because uh, FEMA will reimburse you for your possessions that have been lost to the flood but they won't do it in your house. They'll do it outside. So basically what Kendra needed, because she desperately needed this, this money, 
so to get back on her feet, was to take every single thing inside her house and put it on the lawn. So I, I, I thought, well, maybe I'd go over there and help. And then people told me, Mark, this is not something somebody your age should do by yourself. So I put out a call for people to come with me that day. Uh, I put it out to my alumni list and out on Facebook. So I got two alumni uh, to join with me, Victor Gonzalez, class of 93, Henry Sicardi, class of 2010, and a young professor who just heard about it on Facebook. And I also had staying with me a visiting scholar from Germany. So with Kendra, we had six people to go out that day, two cars. I was warned, you have to have masks, you have to have boots, you have to have gloves, and some of the clothing you might have to throw out, certainly have to wash. And I was glad when I got there that I had young people with me. I cannot describe to you how depressing going into that house was. First of all, was the floor was still wet, you know, maybe an inch or two of like mud and water. The smell made you want to puke. And what did it smell like? I, I you know, seawater, um, mold, mold, mm-hmm. mold. Um, it smelled like, you know, stuff that had gotten waterlogged except like to the nth degree. Right. And then we said, okay, we have to take everything out of what was essentially um, a very large two-bedroom, you know, ground floor apartment with large closet spaces. That meant everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so... Pictures and clothes Pictures and, and clothes and books and beds... We decided to take out everything. That meant 300-pound beds, waterlogged dressers, books, um, television sets, washing machines, everything but the stove and the refrigerator went out. Microwaves, you know, cribs. Now, Professor Nason, you said that there was a a young professor who who had... heard your call or gotten on your Facebook. call on Facebook, name, you didn't even know who he was. No, he, he just showed up at the door. His name is Zebulon Metesky. He had a postdoc at Stony Brook. He was a scholar in African-American studies who asked to friend me on Facebook because I'm in touch with a lot of scholars in my field around the country. And it turned out he was big and young and strong, which we needed because right. I'm a big, strong guy, but I'm 66 years old. Mm-hmm. I would... I. Could not. I must have myself carried out a couple of tons of stuff. Right. And at three and a half hours, I gave out and I said, "Guys, I'm going to get hurt." Right. So the last hardest stuff, the three guys did. The other thing is that we were we Kendra was crying the whole time, and by the end we were crying because the last room we did was the children's room mm. and back. This beautifully decorated room with a brand new TV, a new crib, and new toys, and new place, play areas, everything gone, everything had to go out. It was like your life destroyed, you know, and we, you know, and at the end of this, this took four and a half hours of no stopping. 
um, we all hugged each other in front of the house and Zebulon said a prayer. And it was like we were bonded for life. Yeah. And see, Kendra is the kind of person who makes you feel righteous doing this because she's such a humble, a humble but powerful person. Mm-hmm. She's a tower of strength. She's not afraid to cry, but she works right. when she cries. Uh, Professor Nason, do you remember the first time you met Kendra? Sure. I mean, you know, I could tell that she was from, you know, a New York inner city neighborhood from her affect. And, uh, you know. And how, how did you tell? How could you tell? What well, about it? You know, it's, I'm, from, I'm not from New York, so explain it to um, me. It's the way you walk. It's mm-hmm. the kind of earrings you wear. You know, it's the kind of clothes you wear. It's a little bit of swagger. Okay. <laughs> and also a little bit of looking around at the other Fordham students like, where do these rich kids come from? <laughs> so I can understand that because when I went to Columbia, that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. I was a kid from the streets of Brooklyn, and I'm here with all these prep school kids, and I have to prove myself. So, you know, I could, so I identify with those students coming from, you know, inner city neighborhoods, coming to an elite school. And so, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work with this kid. Yeah. You know, if she wants to. And she ended up taking six courses with me. And she told me she ended up becoming an educator because of you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could tell. And and she had a certain charisma too. Mm -hmm. That's what, you know, she attracted people to her. Right. And still does. I mean, she makes people want to be around her. Yeah. Even when she's upset, there was something. I mean, she brought us together and, you know, and there was so much love in that room when we were cleaning it out. I don't think anybody will ever forget that. Mm -hmm. I also have to describe the scene, what it was like driving there, because we went, you know, from Brooklyn up. Uh, Cross Bay Boulevard. We stop in Howard Beach to try to buy something. Even there, like the Rite Aid had been flooded and you couldn't buy anything except pharmacies. Then we go into this little community broad channel. Troops, FEMA, trucks, cars strewn all over. People sitting in front of their little wooden houses with their possessions out there. Total disaster area. Then we cross into Rockaway, on our left, the first thing we see is a boarded McDonald's that says, nothing left to loot. Then there are no lights working. There are police officers directing traffic with masks on. There are troops walking in the streets. There are lines of people getting clothing and food. And then we head to Kendra's block, which is all you know, two and three family houses, which on the outside look normal. But every one of them had been flooded and had the same problems that she did, except there were some people living in those houses Mm -hmm. with no electricity, no heat, mold, and God knows what diseases. So it was, it shook me up like I couldn't believe. Had you ever seen anything like that before? Absolutely not. I mean... And I'm thinking that you... um got on Facebook, inspired some other people to come out and help uh, Kendra pull all this stuff out of her her apartment. And one of the more horrific stories that I heard was the one about the Staten Island mother 
whose two young children were swept away by the floodwaters uh, from Superstorm Sandy because no one would open their doors for her. And, yeah. you know, she was pounding for help. And Kendra said that she experienced something similar to that. Uh, she said when the floodwaters began to rise in her home, she said she went to a few neighbors, knocked on the door, no one would answer, and finally had to go down the block yeah. to a neighbor's home. So, Professor Nason, what inspires some people to to come out, in your opinion, to come out and, and help people they don't even know or barely know or do this, you know, manual labor to help someone for four hours and other people won't simply open a door? Wow, that's an existential question that I don't feel equipped to answer. I just always assumed when I decide to do something that I am fully prepared to do it by myself. I don't expect courage. I don't expect sacrifice. So I'm thrilled when I see it. Sometimes I'm shocked when I see it. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. Before we find out how Kendra Newkirk is recovering six months after Sandy, we go back to December 2012, a few weeks after Sandy hit. That's when Kendra took me on a tour of her storm-ravaged home on Beach 68th Street in Auburn, Far Rockaway. The two-bedroom house near JFK was a shell of what Kendra remembered. The walls were gutted, the floors ripped up, and there was a four-foot water line where Sandy's waves settled. Here, Kendra describes what happened just before Sandy struck and changed her life forever. I was in here um, cooking, and the table was here. We had a TV mounted on the wall. We were in here watching the news. I mean, it was on in all the bedrooms. And I kept hearing a buzzing sound, and the lights started to flicker off. So me and my children's father got dressed and went outside and realized that the water started to settle, and it was kind of rushing in really fast. Um, but we tried to figure out where the buzzing was coming from, and then we realized as we were looking towards Beach Channel Drive that... Um, a power line had, um, one of the generators had fallen, and that's what we were hearing. It was, um, like burning. You can walk up the block and see that it kind of melted the, the sidewalk. So I went, walked back this way with him. We didn't want to go over there because we didn't know if it was safe to walk. So we walked up here to see, um, if the water started to come from the beach because we didn't realize where it was coming from initially. There was nothing coming. The beach is two blocks up. There was nothing coming from that way. We came back. We were standing here and we were watching the water filled up the driveway, and it started getting higher. So we had already prepped to, if it got too high, we would walk down to our, we would walk over to the house we own. Um, it just came so fast. We walked back. You need a minute? We walked back into the bedroom and got the kids dressed. My godson and got sister were here, so... We had, they already were dressed, but we put their coats and their, their boots on. But by that time, it wasn't even five minutes, a five-minute lapse. The lights had flipped off, but we happened to have the flashlights still on. So we walked back. We grabbed the bags of, like, you know, some of our important documents that we had already had at the front door. Um, their father took, um, picked them up, and we walked over to a neighbor's house. Um, as we're walking out, the water was already coming into the house. Um, we went to the neighbors next door and was banging on the door. They didn't open up. And then, um, this, um, Indian family down the block took us in. 
and the water just within a matter of 20 minutes. I mean, the water was already above the gate. You couldn't even see the gates anymore. I mean, it just came really fast. What made you guys decide to uh, wait it out a little bit before instead we were of here leave? for Irene? Our house um, down the road is is not as low as this house, and the damage that it caused there wasn't um, as extensive. Um, Hurricane Irene just wasn't. I mean, it wasn't as extensive. We didn't expect it to be. I mean, I would never have put my children in jeopardy right. if I had known that it was going to be this bad. What do you um, say to yourself? What do you say to yourself when you get up in the morning? This is my life. This is my life. This is the life that God gave me. And there are people who are worse off than I. I said to Dr. Neeson Leslie that although I've gone through this and I've lost a lot of things that can't be replaced, they can replace a house. People in Connecticut can't replace their children. There are those who are going through. <laughs> More great travesty than I. This is my life. This is what I have to accept. This is what God gave me. And this is what I need to use. This is what I need to use. My pain today will only be my strength tomorrow. That's just that. This is my life story. This is my experience. I'm made strong. My children will be made strong. They are my legacy. That's just how I see it. This, what else am I supposed to do? Go crawl under a rock and, and feel sorry for myself? That's not going to get me anywhere. I have no other choice but this. I, I will accept nothing less. This is what I have to do. It's just what I have to do. Kendra, what is going through your mind right now when you see your house? I'm devastated. I mean, I thought, not even after Dr. Nason and the crew had cleaned it out. I mean, when I came back to to pack up that the items that were salvageable, um, that was like, I felt like that was the, the last, the last bit of business that I had to attend to here. Um, to come back to see it like this, I mean, it's hard enough to look at pictures that I have here. It's very difficult to know that now it looks like this. It just... What's hurting the most standing in here, seeing the shell of this house? I mean, it looks just, it just feels different. Are you thinking about moving back here? You're not sure? Not sure. We had a long, I mean, it's so, the house is such an old house, but it's so, we just fell in love with it. I mean. What'd you love about it, Kendra? It felt like home. Is that feeling gone now? Yeah. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. A half a year after that October hurricane, I got a chance to reconnect with Kendra Newkirk by phone. She was, as always, gleeful, but her brave front masked some of her struggles. Kendra, it's been six months since Superstorm Sandy destroyed your apartment in Far Rockaway. How are you doing? 
uh, I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still recovering. That's the best way that I can put it. I am still recovering. So what's your current living situation? I finally moved into a new location. You like it? Unfortunately, I love it. Yay. But it took me um, some time to actually, um, to really truly admit that because on um, one, my uncle had passed away the day very suddenly, the day I was moving, Ooh. that just like really shook our family foundation with his passing. Um, and Kendra, this is this is what the third family member in you know yeah. less than a year or yeah, a little bit more to pass away. When I say I was moving, I was literally moving my stuff out of storage the day mm-hmm. that he passed. Kendra, how often do you think about Superstorm Sandy and its effects? I do think about it every day. As much as I don't want to admit it, but I do think about it every day. It has left this... Um, Scar? Yes. I try and I ask God all the time to, like, remove it. It's very hard to really, like, own this new place. I had a really beautiful place that I had just moved into in Far Rockaway, and it was taken along with everything else. So it's kind of really hard to believe that these things and these items really, truly belong to me. It's hard to feel that comfort level, that security? Yes. Do you find yourself getting in that mindset or having to battle that mindset of just sadness? Yeah, absolutely. What makes you the saddest, Kendra? You know, I hear it all the time when someone says, well, at least, um, you know, thank God that you guys are safe. That's the most important, and that is true, and thank God for that. But I am still human, and there are things that were lost. It can be depressing to know that, yeah, it's no longer here. Um, there was this one bucket that I had. It had some photos in it that I thought was, you know, salvageable. Mm-hmm. I just let it dry out. But it has sat in storage all these months that I went to go open it, and these pictures in there were of a childhood friend of mine's. And they were damaged. And she's gone. She's been deceased for some years now. Mm. I can't get those pictures back. Right. Do I have her in my head? Absolutely. Yeah. Is it depressing? Absolutely. Because I don't have those pictures anymore. And as small as it is, but it had value to me because she's no longer here. And part of me, in my head, when I go and I look at some things that I do have left over sometimes I wish that it wasn't left over so that it's a reminder of I feel like when I find little things that was salvageable from there Mm -hmm. it's more depressing Mm. as if if it didn't if it wasn't there it wouldn't be a reminder yeah of everything else that was lost yeah what was the hardest thing about your Sandy experience then and now? Um, you know what? I can't answer that question. That's fair. It it just, it all has been, it has been a very trying, soul-searching experience. It has made me question a lot of aspects of my life. It really has. Like what, Kendra? Um, relationships that I have with people. Um, Why? Because 
I feel as if people who people I can say Dr. Nason because you know Dr. Nason right. example he has always been supportive of me when I was in school and after he's been an intricate part you know and you look at these things in hindsight and realize wow this man really has been there by my side and I'm no kin of his but he has been there by my side whereas there are some people who have been with me but really haven't been supportive and I don't mean supportive of this is someone recently I, I didn't I didn't go looking and asking people for money mm-hmm. or looking you know for um you to buy me or my children things just a phone call right. that was support mm-hmm. that was still saying that yes I'm still thinking about you I still care I'm still you know concerned and whatever I can do you know it it has made me question what roles do these people have what role do these people have in my life? I believe that people come into your life for a reason, season, and a lifetime, and we just hold on to some, hoping that it will be a lifetime, but it really isn't. And their uh, time is just up. At one point, you had not only worked at a nonprofit, but also a daycare center. No. Are you not working there? No, they haven't opened up yet. Oh, six months later, your two jobs in, in the Rockaways are still gone? Still gone. <laughs> oh, wow. But you do have a new one? I just started back at work, like, you know, and so thankful, so thankful that I am blessed with a job. Because although I may question a lot of things that have happened, one thing I haven't questioned, and it's just, it, it grows stronger every day. I haven't questioned my faith and love for God. That is the only thing that is a consistent thing. Kendra, do you have uh, any suggestions for those people who started helping uh, Sandy victims, who offered their help and now have sort of gone back to their lives? Do you have any advice for them coming from somebody who is still struggling with the memories of Sandy? Yes, I would suggest that people continue to reach out. Uh, a, A phone call, it helps. A phone call helps. It gives recognition to the fact that we are still being thought of you know this just because it looks clean on the outside does not mean that it's clean on the inside and there's i mean this is going to take some time meaning may it look meaning that it may look like everything's okay but if you really really want to help you'll reach out just a little bit further than the superficial is that what you mean yes yeah. So do you have any advice for people who are in your shoes, who are still recovering, who are still struggling, who lost everything in Sandy, and now they're trying to pick up the pieces? No. <laughs> I'm looking for someone to give me advice. I mean, the way I deal with my life issues are different from someone else, so I can't give someone else advice because I'm still seeking answers to the multiple questions that I have. Can you share how you usually uh, deal with situations that are are traumatic and tragic like this, usually? I usually just move forward. Yeah. I move forward. There's a lesson in it. Um, What does move forward mean? What other choice do I have? You know, it's from the the last time we spoke, the last interview, it's something that has stayed in my head since we first initially met 
and did that initial interview, um, and you asked me a question, how do you keep, how do you move forward? So many things has happened in your life, and how are you able to move forward? And I can't answer that question. It is just who I am as a person. Um, I feel that there are no other choices. The only, the only, I can't go backwards. And when there's no other place for you to go but up because you're so far down, I can only move forward. That comment that you just said stuck with me because I remember you saying, you said, if I stop, I'm afraid I won't start again. Yes. Do you feel that way now? In every, in every aspect of my life, yes. That is my biggest fear. If I stop, I'm not going to be able to move any, I'm not going to be able to move forward in anything that I do in my life. And what's very, what's most important to me are my children. If I stopped and lost whatever drives me on a daily basis, who's going to take care of my children the way I take care of my children? Is it is pushing forward harder now than it was six months ago following Sandy? Absolutely. It is? Absolutely. Every day there are so... Every day, every day. I thought I was having a nervous breakdown two weeks ago. Mm. Every day, absolutely. Do you have any help? I do. I do have help. Um... I have a um, a great support system when it comes to my family. My thanks to Sandra Newkirk and Professor Mark Nason. For more information on ways to donate, volunteer, and help Superstorm Sandy victims, visit Fordham University's webpage and search Sandy Relief. Stay tuned for Cityscape with George Bodarki. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.